2: Hey, everybody. Before we launch into this week's episode, I just want to let you know that Lou Berger has a show next Friday, the 22nd. It's called The Wizard of Friendship. It's a big, fantastical musical. I'd love for you to check it out. Love to see you there. Please enjoy this really special episode that Eugene has brought to all of you.
3: Bye. Hey, Tripod listeners, and welcome to a very special episode. And happy Non-Binary People's Day. In honor of this wonderful holiday, we have A very, very cool chat, and I am delighted to introduce four friends who have joined me today uh, to talk everything non-binary. If we go around the room, starting with Diana, I'd love to know your name, what you do, how you identify, and if you could be any mythological creature, what would it be and why?
4: I am Diana Anderson. I am a writer. I have a new book coming out uh, called In Transit, Being Non-Binary in a World of Dichotomies. I am a they, them, non binary, trans mask, and mythological creature. Can we count like Avatar the Last Airbender creatures? Oh, of because course. that, like, the red panda thing in that, in the uh, Katara series. I love that character.
3: And very queer um, already. Yes. yes, Just keep it in the, in the queer <laughs> lane. I'm Ian
2: Alexander. I use they, them, and he, him pronouns. Uh, I'm transmasculine and non-binary. Um, I'm an actor, most recently in Star Trek Discovery. I would be a vampire. Um, This is my audition for what we do in the shadows. I would love to be a vampire.
5: Hi, my name is Dylan Nguyen, and um, I'm a gender-fluid, non-binary person. I would probably be... A Nancy or some sort of similar spider, because mm. I love weaving and fabric and threads and all that kind of stuff. So it would have to be some sort of spider.
6: I'm Casey Slack. Uh, my pronouns are they, them. I'm a genderqueer, non binary, trans, mm, masculine, and a Unitarian Universalist minister, a writer, a sex educator, and definitely a dragon. Mm.
3: Ooh. Well, I'm Eugene. I go by he/him pronouns, and I would obviously just be a gay horse. (laughs) Any gay horse, unicorn, Pegasus, alicorn, gay horses. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, you know this is a really wonderful opportunity because we have uh, so many non-binary identifying people in a room who can just hang out. This isn't any sort of formal interview. Would just love to know more about y'all and like have a nice little kiki. I want to know more specifically about this. Orange Old Navy shirt that y'all
0: were talking about?
6: So Old Navy has this shirt that is navy blue with oranges on it. And part of Old Navy's decision to expand their plus sizes means that this is a shirt that is sold in extra small through 4X so everybody can wear it. And at some point, somebody discovered it and posted it on Twitter it was, it was uh, Antonia. Yeah. yeah. Antonio
4: Tarazis posted uh, it with the caption, hot trans mask summer at Old Navy.
6: <laughs> and it's like, we literally were all just like, yes, yes. it is a hot trans mask summer in oranges. <laughs> it's a very
4: striking shirt and it's incredibly comfortable too. So like, it's very easy to just throw on. Mm-hmm.
2: Not to feed okay. into a stereotype, but there is something so mask about a button-up shirt. Um,
0: <laughs> so everyone looks
3: down at their outfits. You all look amazing. Now, Dylan, mm-hmm. is there sort of a like congregation of hair color and styles
0: <laughs> for non-binary people?
3: Because obviously, I love hair, and it's certainly part of a big part of my queer identity. But mm-hmm. we have some some fantastic hairstyles in the room right
5: now. <laughs> <laughs> that would probably be the first thing that I changed in my outward appearance. Once you decide to break the mold in one way, you start breaking it in all the ways. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that is one of the things I enjoy most about what I consider to be my gender fluid identity. I love playing with and mixing things in, you know, in my clothes, in my hair and whatever, because I kind of like throwing people off. It's sort of like, okay, this is what I am, but the rest of the world is not happy with that. And so feeling out of place in the world is something that I I kind of like turning back on people. All Mm -hmm. right, you're making me feel out of place. I'm going to make you feel out of place. (laughs) Which is kind of confrontational, but you know.
3: What's been your journey so far? You know, because did it start with just, oh, I've discovered or I've, I've found this is like my true self as someone who is non-binary, or did it start with like, what were your steps to get to where you are now?
6: Um, I, so I also grew up in a pretty conservative place. and from a small town in Northeast Ohio, and my parents are fascinating because they are non-religious conservatives. Uh, and they raised Ooh. me somehow, and we're all very confused. Um, <laughs> but so I could tell a story in which I always knew, but I don't think that I did always know. Um, I had a very, despite my parents' conservatism, a very like gender-free childhood. Um, when I was a kid, there are all these really great pictures of what I am clear is a proto-dyke me in <laughs> flannel shirts on my way out to do guy stuff with my dad in the garage. Um, but I was always allowed to do kind of whatever I wanted until puberty started. And then I had to be a girl. And that was really actually pretty traumatic to be forced into a gender that I had not really signed up for. The first thing I had to get through was I was bad at it because especially when I was a teenager in the early 2000s, a girl was thin and I never was. And so my body was always excluded from girlness already. And so I couldn't I couldn't get there and I tried and I tried, like through an eating disorder, tried to get myself into the shape that girlness required of me and then tried desperately to be straight, was not successful at any of these things. So I knew I was queer from when I was like 14, didn't come out to my family for about a decade. And then I went to seminary, and I moved from Northeast Ohio, where I had lived my whole life, to Berkeley. And suddenly I knew lots of trans people. And I had done all this work on accepting my body, on feeling okay, just being a person in the body I was in, on letting go of my desire for people to think I was straight. But for me, seminary made coming out possible, which sounds unreal uh, if you have never been to Unitarian Universal (laughs) Seminary in Berkeley, which is a really different thing. Um, But there was this space that I was being invited into in all of the praying and singing and learning that I was doing there that was be the realist version of yourself that you can be. And when I looked, the realist version of myself that I could be needed to move out of trying to be a girl. And so at the time, I'm presenting as I think I would explain my gender then as hot, fat girl. Right. So like dresses, glitter. um, I had long purple hair, like very feminine. And it took a long time for me to figure out how to not only use the words that were right, but to like make My aesthetic do something.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, What about you, Dylan?
5: So, so yeah. I mean, I came out as bisexual as a teenager, but then when I was, I have traveled around a bunch, and when I was in Finland, in the Finnish language, there is one pronoun for humans. Hmm. There's no he or she or whatever. There's one pronoun, and I was like, this is the best feeling. (laughs)
7: <laughs> ever,
5: <laughs> to be just everybody, it, it, to be that that sort of not specified. And I, that, so I started experimenting with, you know, clothes and dressing, you know, dressing more masculine, sometimes more feminine, sometimes. But I think as far as considering myself as being trans, uh, was when I had a good friend who's a trans man in when I was living in New Zealand. And just sort of seeing how he navigated the world made me start thinking about it. But what held me back, and this is this pisses me off till now, <laughs> is that I I felt like I rejected masculinity in myself because I'm so angry and frustrated with patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so um, when when I turned that around and realized that I needed to needed to separate those. That was a big moment for me. But then I also thought, well, I don't want to transition completely to being a trans man because that's not what I feel right now, but I'm sort of stuck in this body. And that was very depressing and frustrating. So, but I I sort of shoved that to the side and threw myself into a lot of work and did a bunch of other stuff. And it was early 2021 that i was like well wait a minute maybe i could actually do some like body modifications here <laughs> and you know um so that started me on my surgery journey but and i i, I said to uh, i was i was talking with a friend of mine the other day and said i've been such a huge science fiction fan because I always wanted the technology to exist for me to live the way I wanted to live. And I didn't think I was gonna make it to that point, mm-hmm. but I did.
3: Congrats on <laughs> the recent surgeries, by the way. Yes. That's very exciting. Um, but yeah, I, I often say genre especially, whether it be mythology, yeah. which comes down to things that we we yeah. generalize as fantasy, science fiction. Yeah. Um, even horror it so often centers on this idea of like a a marginalized character or a character that's mm-hmm. essentially discovering themselves in a society that doesn't necessarily want or understand them. So the inherent queerness is always there, which is why yeah. when we get into things about diversity in those genres <laughs> and people getting mad about it, I'm like, bitch, this is <laughs> yeah.
6: this is literally like we always can. Always been there. It's yes.
3: always been there. We're not yeah. extracting queerness from this. It's mm-hmm. it's inherent. Um. Anyway, that's a different rant. I can, go on. <laughs> yes. I can ask you about your journey.
4: Yeah, for me. I was raised evangelical Christian in the Midwest, in South Dakota, which is a very, a very red state. I felt like I was always being told that these are the rules that your gender has to follow and stuff. And so it's like, oh, everyone else is just trying to follow this rule book and stuff. And I realized that not everyone saw it that way. And that's sort of what made me go, maybe I'm not cisgender, because I feel like I'm having to check off all these boxes. And other women seem to find that natural to them. So I had to unlearn so much of what evangelical Christianity had taught me about my assigned gender at birth and then unlearn uh, it for within myself of being able to say, oh, I don't have to follow that rule book anymore. I am non-binary. I am queer. I am just this person. Yeah, yeah
3: I think it's really um Interesting, because as someone who identifies as he, him, I, I look back and understand that much of my upbringing, especially from a traditional Korean family and then a Texan, was so rooted in very distinct black versus white. Mm-hmm. I think the first time, though, that I was so aware of how ridiculous the gender binary was, was when I started learning French. It was like, why are we assigning gender to objects in mm-hmm. certain languages? It felt very strange to me. Mm-hmm. Why is la poubelle, why is the trash can woman?
0: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
3: I remember asking that to my teacher and they're like, well, you know, cause it has like an opening. And I was like, that's so <laughs> disgusting oh and strange. And I'm like, I don't understand the logic there, but I'm like, even the, 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 the root of that logic is so, was so off-putting to me. And I mm-hmm. felt it was wrong in my gut. Mm-hmm. And that was as someone who was raised to say, boy, girl, Black, white, mm-hmm. and you know, it just took La Poubelle for me to say, "Hmm, maybe we've been assigning things uh, certain ways when really it's just a, a you know, it's just an object or it's a person. It's there. It exists." Mm-hmm. And that was very that was a turning point for me as like a thirteen year old. Um, Ian, what about you? So my gender journey, I actually saved a journal
2: entry from like 2013 where I'm like, I've been researching transgender. I don't think I am, but it would be interesting to see what I would look like <laughs> if I transitioned. Mm-hmm. And like, I still have that piece of paper saved because it was like the beginning of my journey. Um, So I was like 12 or 13, like had very long hair down to my waist and like tucked it up into a beanie and was like, oh, this is what it would look like if I had short hair. This is what I, it would look like if I like binded my chest Interesting. Um, and I I ended up, uh, I had been attending my school's GSA, um, which we call Gender Sexuality Association to be more inclusive. Um, and so I asked my friends that I had made through that group if they could experiment like using like they, them pronouns for me and he, him. And I really like the sound of he, him pronouns. My gut instinct was like, oh, maybe I'm gender fluid or maybe I'm agender. Um, But because I liked he him pronouns so much and because I grew up um, with a very conservative religious uh, upbringing, I grew up Mormon. So um, Mm -hmm. I can relate to uh, (laughs) growing up very religious and having like a limited mindset about things. I thought that like he him pronouns equals male. So I was like, oh, if I like he him pronouns, I must be trans male. So for the first like six years of me being out as trans, I did identify as a trans male. And it wasn't until like 2020 that during lockdown, I spent a lot of time thinking (laughs) about my gender. I'm sure a lot of you can relate to that. Um, And then I realized that I, my initial gut instinct of like, maybe I'm agender, maybe I'm not male or female was correct. And so that's when I came out uh, publicly as non-binary, which at first I was anxious, like being public figure since I was 14. I was worried people would be like, you're you're just confused. Like clearly you don't know what's going on with your gender, but I think that it's okay to like publicly have this journey of like, I'm young, I'm 21, I'm still figuring things out. Um, I'm allowed to change my mind. I'm allowed to discover more of myself as I progress on this journey.
3: I'd say that is extremely important, especially seeing a young person's journey because it is a very natural journey to have.
2: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member
3: FDIC. So it is really wonderful, and thank you for sharing your journeys. I, I would love to hear maybe some from some of our patrons. Uh, I know a lot of them are either in their own journeys or just very curious about how they navigate these conversations. So we actually have recorded many of our listeners' questions they've submitted, and uh, through voice memos. Excellent. And we're gonna start with our listener, Billy Keaton.
5: What's up, Try Guys? I, first off, I think it's great that you guys are doing kind of an, an informative video about non-binary people. That's awesome. And I feel like I can't keep up with the language. I really need someone to break it down, like Sesame Street, and I wanna be informed. <laughs> and I want to be inclusive, and I just can't keep up with uh, the way it's changing so
7: quickly.
3: Okay, yeah, I think that's a very valid question. Can we help give us a little, like, Count, <laughs> count Dracula? <laughs> yeah.
6: I have answered this question a lot of times. One of mm-hmm. the things that I do is I work as a sex educator with an organization called More Than Sex Ed, And so I've done a lot of parent orientations, where there is a parent of a middle or high school student, and the student has no problems with the language. They know everything. But the parent is like, my kid is saying words, and I don't know what any of them mean. And the first thing that I always want to tell people is, it is okay if you don't know what all of the, I don't always know what all of the words mean right now. It moves fast, and as fast as teenagers on the internet, which is faster than you move ever, Mm -hmm. if you're not a teenager on the internet. and. It, this will change this is not uh, this is not written in stone yes I I view language as a creative
4: force like what we speak into the world can help create the world around us um and so I look at people using neo pronouns using new languages new terms for themselves as them creating their own world and that has helped me as a as an older queer, as a, you know, mid thirties person, um, who does have a degree in gender studies, but like still doesn't know all the terms to just be more curious about it and not immediately go, wait, what, what, (laughs) what is that? But, um, instead be like, oh, I haven't heard that term. Can you tell me how you're using it? It's a bit like slang. There are times my (laughs) 11 year old niece says something and I'm like, I have no idea what you just said but you sound happy about it so good for you and that's just sort of the attitude i have to take into it
3: what what would you say some of the more common terms are currently that we've sort of accepted as like identifying language that we we use mm-hmm. in you know critical circles and social circles
4: cisgender is when you have been assigned a gender at birth and you have a gender identity or feeling of your gender that matches that so you were assigned female you grew up and you're like I'm a woman and that's what you
3: are and the far right hates the term
4: yes because they think it's a slur because it's identifying the the unmarked
3: yes yeah. it yeah. also like yes. sort of like decentralizes their world mm-hmm. again the invisible it's invisible to them yeah. so it makes it uh, highly aware that they are something Quote unquote to them, othered mm-hmm. that they've never experienced.
6: It's exactly the same as they felt about straight when we started calling them that, too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just- They're
2: like, I'm not cis- cisgender and heterosexual. I'm normal. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> just That's the just worst word. <laughs>
6: AFAB is assigned female at birth. Uh, it goes mm-hmm. with AMAB mm-hmm. um, and not actually with ACAB. Uh, <laughs> assigned different. male yes. at birth. <laughs> All cops are
2: bastards. That last one's not a gender. Yeah,
0: um, we are not assigned cop at birth. <laughs> <laughs> as much as my
6: brain might periodically think that's what that means. Yeah.
2: Uh, I personally like the term transmasculine because it focuses on what I'm identifying as now Mm -hmm. rather than like what I was before. Mm -hmm. Um, So saying like female to male kind of puts like female first. Mm -hmm. Um, But I like transmasculine because it focuses on my journey with masculinity.
6: I also like transmasculine and transfeminine because they're area terms rather than like trans woman, which is very specific. Mm -hmm. Right. There are a lot of transfeminine people who aren't women. Right, who are non binary people who are feminine. There are a lot of trans masculine people who aren't men. And so it's easier to talk about, okay, kind of going this direction, kind of going that direction, mm-hmm. rather than like where you're arriving. So I like it also because it doesn't focus so much on where you're arriving, but kind of how you're doing.
3: Mm-hmm. We've also used the term gender fluid.
5: Um, I. <laughs> I used to joke that, that that my gender fluidity was uh temperature specific because when it was winter the flannel shirts would come out <laughs> when, it was summertime, when it was summertime the dresses would come out um you know it's you're not without gender but you um you're sort of a mix and you're and it varies from day to day what mm-hmm. your what your mix is yeah. and it does tend to relate more to you know Incorporate it presenting as one gender or the other. But it, like I said, I like to mix it up too. So, you know, there's always a spot of the other
2: color. In the- <laughs> and since we're talking about gender expression, I would yes. love to kind of explain also the difference between gender expression and gender yeah. identity. Mm-hmm. How you're feeling identity wise can be completely different from how you're feeling expression wise, especially yeah. when you're non binary, because we yes. love to mm-hmm. mess mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. the binary. Yep, yeah. absolutely.
6: <laughs> gender presentation is not gender having. My wife and I both have pins that say uh, femme, not female. Mm-hmm. Uh, deciding that you want to look fancy in a dress at any given moment or all the time. Not actually a gender, just just a dress. Mm-hmm. Usually, uh, with gender and sexuality terms, if you can figure out prefixes, you can figure out where you're going, mm-hmm. right? Bi generally means two or more. Um, pan generally means all of. Uh Non means not. A means not. Uh, So, you know, prefixes are your friends in figuring Mm -hmm. that stuff out. But also, like, we're always throwing new words in there. I love what Diana says about, like, creating our own little realities in those worlds. And Mm -hmm. uh, what matters is looking at somebody and hearing the words they say and saying, oh, okay, yep, those are the words. I don't have to understand
3: that. Mm -hmm. So sometimes in conclusion, it's it's uh wonderful just to accept that someone is identifying themselves confidently in that moment. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that 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 like sort of that acceptance of that is maybe the most and the best you can do without having to further define or clarify something.
6: Yeah. But, I mean for me that's the most important thing. I'm much more worried that people are willing to respect that I'm the authority on my life. Um, that people mm-hmm. are willing to respect that people are the authority on their own individual lives that, then that you like understand it. I do not understand my own gender. How in the fuck would you hope to?
3: Yeah, that's great. I th- I, let's go to the next question. Um, this is from Juliet.
6: Hi, my name is Juliet. I'm from Southern Oregon.
4: My question is, what does gender feel like, if anything? For context, I am an AFAB, agender person who wants to hear more about other people's internal experience with gender, not just the association with what we assign
6: gender to. Thank you. I do not have a felt experience of gender. Um, Part of how I knew that I was non-binary was that I kept looking and being like, gender? Do we have a gender in here? Is there a gender? Excuse me? Anyone? Anywhere? No. No gender. Only, uh, I don't know, jellyfish. (laughs) what I got in here. I don't know.
4: (laughs) Yeah. I describe it as myself looking at my assigned gender at birth and going, nah. Looking at the other option, which was man and going, nah. And deciding to create for myself what that is and how that feels changes day to day. I know when I got top surgery, I felt like I was in my body for the first time Uh, looking at myself in the mirror, even with these scars across my chest like that to me was like yeah that's what i am i am not trying to be a man i am this person who is in between who is separate from these binary categories that we have um and it's it's often very hard for cis people to understand because their gender is often made invisible to them they don't feel it um but I feel it when it's wrong. When someone calls me she, I'm like, oh, um, it's like that feeling of like chewing on tinfoil. Um,
0: Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Visceral.
4: And it took me a while to realize that that was gender dysphoria. Um, and that is a form of feeling gender when, when it's wrong. And so I try to go for gender euphoria as much as I can, whatever that may be.
2: Um, a great story to, I think, describe how I feel about gender is one time a stranger asked one of my best friends, like, is your friend a boy or a girl? And he was like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how I feel about my gender. I love that, um, because my gender expression is very like fluid, people who don't know me can't necessarily place me and I'll just watch them like scan my entire body and they're like is his girl or is boy can't tell (laughs) and that satisfies me I'm like just keep them guessing Yeah.
5: (laughs) yeah and I mean that's something that I'm hoping will happen more more often now that I've had had surgery um because um people did and this is a term that that we didn't also talk about, but was on on the list. Um, people did uh, do do what's called clocking, clocked me as female. Quite, re- and that means like I just visually identifying
0: yeah.
5: um, me as a female person, and um, because of my physical appearance, and that's you know something that that ha- that happens to trans people all the time. Very uncomfortable, <laughs> and um, so for me, it, I mean, there. It was for me. It was more like not not feeling like a woman, but realizing that there is much more to me than that. It's like okay, there's this part, but then there's this whole other part that has a whole bunch of other feelings of how I want to be treated in the world. And realizing how much of that was well, also male, was also something in between, you know, in addition to what I was born with or what I was assigned with at birth.
3: Yeah, it sounds like universally being cis is very much, as you mentioned, like the the gender one identifies as is invisible. And, you know, no one should ever feel, I, I think, like so comfortable in having their entire selves invisible to them mm-hmm. without exploring that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's something that we can all learn from your community, especially understanding that the, the challenging of that is an exercise everyone yeah. can and yeah. should go through. And I've had my own versions of it with, you know, certain forms of like gender expression through style. Like that's one way a lot of people, especially in the queer community, yeah. can first sort of test those, those invisible boundaries. But it, it is something that I think is um, beautiful. Once you start understanding how those lines, maybe they're, blurred at some point and then Mm -hmm. you realize they weren't even really there at all but that was a great question and i'm uh gonna move on to the next one from our listener larissa
8: clothes are aggressively built and marketed within the confines of gender when you get dressed in the morning how do you avoid performing gender
0: hmm
6: oh i don't (laughs) do not avoid it the performance is unavoidable
4: (laughs) I think with non-binary people tend to think that we are avoiding performing any form of gender. We are trying to uh, be something that is not man, not woman, and therefore nothing, uh, which is what you see in fashion lines where they end up like <laughs> they're non-binary or gender neutral things are, are like beige. a brown sack.
3: <laughs> That's always like one shapeless cloak. It's yeah. so yeah.
6: annoying. Beige masculine clothes. Yes.
4: Yeah. And that's not what I want. I want colorful. I want fun. Like I am wearing purple shorts and a flamingo, like Hawaiian shirt, uh, because that to me combines the masculine and the feminine in subtle ways. And so we want clothing that goes back and forth, that emphasizes that exchange, that sort of uh, fluidity Mm -hmm. between everything.
3: Uh, My hope is always that you are eventually informing the clothes and that's uh, hopefully what people can get around. But most people, as the listener astutely pointed out, the clothes often informs what we think of the person wearing it. And so like my examples are, you know, I try to wear skirts and dresses whenever I can, but a lot of people will comment like, wow, it looks really masculine. And I will tell them, I think it's because I'm a very masculine person. Like Mm -hmm. what you're seeing is just me wearing the dress Mm -hmm which is the way you kinda wanna wear clothes, right? You wanna wear the clothes. So it is something where I think that when people start like, it starts mind-fucking them saying like, what is the gender associations I'm having right now? (laughs) I'm like, maybe you're just experiencing the spirit and the energy of the person wearing it. Mm -hmm. And then if the rules are being bent or broken in front of you, you're just gonna have to like connect those two dots yourself. Because for y'all, the big thing is like, you're already navigating connecting those dots every morning when you're just like, all right, I'm gonna be wanting to wear this for whatever Mm -hmm. reason I feel
5: yeah yeah absolutely whatever clothes you choose whoever you are um, if it doesn't reflect who you are then you're not going to be confident you're not going to be feel comfortable in Mm -hmm. yourself
3: hey it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith co-star of my upcoming film If Only in Theaters May 17th do you want to tell people the big news?
5: The power of having that surface presentation is really interesting to me. I mean, It's something that, you know, humans have been doing since we've been human. You know, since we started, you know, grinding up old red ochre and, and painting stuff on ourselves or whatever it was that we were doing back then. I should probably back up and say that my original college degree was in, in archaeology. So <laughs> that's why all this archaeology so shit smart. is coming.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, there is one steadfast rule, though, with Mm -hmm. clothes, which is if you own an Old Navy (laughs) button down with oranges on it, I'm sorry, cishet men. You're You're part of the family now. You're queer. I'm just causing a panic in that community. I'm like, burn the shirt. (laughs) All right, let's actually go to the next question from Tom.
2: Okay, so my question is, did you realize your sexuality or gender identity first? And did one inform the other?
0: Hmm,
3: Great question.
4: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, I think a lot of it for me was that it was easier to come out as queer uh, because I, I first came out as queer in 2013. uh, So just about 10 years ago. um, And that was when there was a lot of momentum building for the gay marriage movement and all that. So it was a lot easier to come out then. Um, And I write in the book actually that, Like when I say like queer or lesbian, I don't have to explain that to people. But if I say non-binary, a lot of them will go, what?
6: I already mentioned that I figured out my sexuality first. I was like 14 um, because there were queer people in the world. Um, I knew that I knew that gay and lesbian people existed uh, and that my family hated them. And Mm -hmm. then I went to a day of school with my childhood best friend who went to, at the time, an all-girls Catholic school. And she was making glittery posters for her friend's lockers. And she said, this one's for Barbara Joy. She's bisexual. And I went, you could be that? (laughs) I mean, it was hard because it was 2002 in Northeast Ohio um, and I barely knew any gay people. But it was a world of difference between... Then and how long it took for me to start telling people that I was non-binary.
5: Yeah, I, I absolutely came out bisexual long before, although I would say that I probably knew internally that I was both. I, I, one was much more acceptable than the other, like you were saying. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm in the same boat as all of you. I I think it was easier to place those feelings of like attraction towards other people because it was very obvious as i started going through puberty i'm like girls are making me feel um all <laughs> fluttery on the inside <laughs> and i'm obsessed with lana del rey way more than a straight per- person would be <laughs> um so shout out to Lana Del Rey for being part of my queer awakening and Lady Gaga. The way I was watching <laughs> Lady Gaga music videos obsessively as a child should have been a sign that I was queer. Um,
6: That's me, but Fiona Apple because I'm older. <laughs> <yeah>.
2: <laughs> Love that for us. Actually, like my coming out as, uh, as lesbian sort of inspired my first moments of gender euphoria because I had the classic uh, pixie cut transformation from like very long, like Belly button length hair to like pixie cut, and I started getting gendered as like he him by strangers, and I was like, "I actually kind of, actually kind of like that." <laughs>
3: so one informed the other. That's really interesting. It sounds like also a lot of just where society is at too is sort of like it is a harder, um, you know, part of yourself to to be able to share with the world because the world isn't quite ready in a lot of ways. Do you feel that's shifting?
0: Uh, yes and and
4: no. no. (laughs) Yeah. We're in a time period of lots of reactionary pushback Mm -hmm. against it, but it is also easier because there's beginning to be like this cultural understanding.
3: You know, even having conversations in your inner circles, your family is really important. My mother, who's just like slowly opening her mind, it's been very cute and wonderful trying to hold her hand through these things. You know, she, uh, recently had a conversation with me. I talked to her about non-binary and trans identity and she's sitting there nodding and she's like, okay, 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 okay. Um, I understand, I think, but one thing I don't get is lesbian. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, why mom? I'm gay. It's it's a gay woman. And she goes, yeah, but I would never like a woman. (laughs) And I said, see, this is the issue. You're looking at it from your own personal yep. mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. The whole idea is to empathize and get out of your experience. She's like, oh, no, I don't know if I can do that yet. <laughs> oh, She's getting around, but it was yeah. a very cute yeah. moment yes, where I was just adorable. like, oh, it's the lesbians for you, Mom? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know how I could love a woman. And I was like, well, we could, we could get you there. <laughs> Um, actually, let's go to another question. Uh, this is from our listener Tessara or Tassara.
6: One of the things for me is that I am agender, but I present myself as pretty femme. And it's a bit irritating that non-binary characters in fiction tend to have a certain kind of skinny, masculine leaning appearance and fashion sense. And many gender neutral clothing lines are both blandly unappealing and inspired by the same kind of skinny, mask leaning style. Body and size positivity are really lacking in media portrayals and commercial fashion for non-binary folks. The brown sack issue. The brown sack yes. issue. Yeah.
4: And I- the skinny white, like the aesthetic that we have presented to us of non-binary is the David Bowie mm-hmm. sort of thing, where it's the mm-hmm. thin white Duke.
3: I like the Tilda it's Swinton. The- yes. <laughs> yes.
4: Where it's yeah. this very thin, almost always white uh person. Prince sort of got in there as well, yeah, and stuff. But like, skinniness is the main thing, and that's something I struggled with as a fat person because I was like, my body is so quickly and easily gendered uh, when I had mm-hmm. when I had my chest, um, and it was a struggle to present as something that is that is a not that is not man or woman when people so quickly
6: judged me for being fat and for having an obvious chest, yeah. It's, I mean, it's super complicated. And I've done fat acceptance work for over a decade. It is hard enough if you are not just plus size, like if you are very fat as I am. Mm -hmm. Um, So like I wear like a size 28 in women's clothing, which is about as large as most plus size clothing companies sell. And I am not the fattest person I have ever met. Mm -hmm. And then when you look at things like... This button-up is from Hot Topic. This is a girl's button-up from Hot Topic. They do not sell the boys' clothes in the same range of sizes that they sell the girls' clothes Mm. because we have taught fashion companies that they need to be a little accommodating to fat women Mm -hmm. but that nobody needs to care about fat masculine people.
4: There's this interesting thing within culture where fatness acts as this both gendering and degendering Uh, aspect. We talk about fat men having moobs Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and things like that. And so fat women are often pushed, fat cis women, into performing femininity in specifically very feminine ways, like the Mm -hmm. ultra feminine. You see like the fat women doing the pinup styles and things like that because they're reasserting this performance of femininity that an anti-fat culture has taken from them.
6: And I think fat trans women get like a, a third... Level dose of that, right? Because society expects such intense femininity from trans women in general. Mm -hmm. And then add to that fatness. And basically, you can wear pinup style dresses and a full face of makeup at all times, or people can treat Mm -hmm. you like shit at all times. Um, And it was, there was a period, so my wife is also non binary, right? And my wife is very, very feminine. Um, My wife Mm -hmm. is like big, brightly colored hair, um, dresses. Pretty much all the time, bright colors. But when I started dressing a little more masculine, we went from when we were in public, people commenting on both of us, to when we we're in public, people only commenting on my wife. Mm. Um, like if I had disappeared by no longer being quite as feminine. But it's just, it's v- been very interesting to notice how like how I am treated in public, whether I'm really feminine, better, or more masculine, worse. <laughs>
2: If I could speak to um, like the representation part of it, I really want to highlight a huge problem with Hollywood, which is that Hollywood centers a skinny, white or white-passing, conventionally pretty, androgynous person for a non-binary mm-hmm. representation. Um, and that's one thing that I've tried really hard to talk about. <laughs> um, there needs to be... All types of trans people in front of and behind the camera. Um, more fat trans people, more fat black trans femme people. And one thing that I uh, I had a hand in on Star Trek was, so I'm one of two trans non-binary characters on the show. Um, Blue Del Barrio plays the character Adira. Um, I play Gray, who is their wonderful, hot alien boyfriend. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And in the newest season, season four, my character Gray goes through this physical, emotional transformation journey. Uh, Spoiler alert. uh, He was kind of living in limbo for a bit and then through like sci-fi magic is able to get a body again. And so I pitched this idea um, to the producers and to the hair and wardrobe and makeup departments of like, what if Grey gets to express himself more now that he has this new body? I would love to see him, especially because this is so far in the future, I would love to see him have this genderless expression of, you know, nail polish, of dresses, long mullet uh, with with blue, like a long blue mullet, um like blue eyeliner, you know, I pitched all of these different ideas and just sort of threw a bunch of spaghetti noodles at the wall to see what would stick and and they were open to it. And so I got to collaborate uh, with my character design, which is really cool. And so gray gets this uh, what would be considered traditionally feminine, but I view as genderless look. And I got a lot of messages when that episode came out of people being like, this is the first time that I've seen like a feminine, non-binary person on screen. And someone even was like crying because they were so moved because they were affirmed in their identity of being non-binary. And so I want to see, I want to see more of that because, you know, I, I love the trans representation that we're getting, but there could always be room for improvement.
3: Totally. That's wonderful. It's I love that a you got yeah. yeah. it. <laughs> uh we're gonna to go to the next question.
7: Hi. I am an AFAB envy person who has a little known gender identity, and I go by they-them pronouns, but I'll accept he him pronouns as well. I very often just say I accept he hims because people just don't understand the singular they. For context, I live in an extremely conservative town, and I'm sort of at the point where I feel like I'm getting too old to spend all of my time correcting people of my pronouns. Like, when I was 20, 21, I was super corrective, but now I kind of feel like there's no point, and also, there's bigger fish to fry, so to speak. So I guess my question is, how do you recommend standing up for yourself in regards to your pronouns in a way that serves it with just a little bit of honey?
3: Mm. <laughs> mm. Just a little bit of honey.
4: I do feel like there's a meme that goes around in trans internet where it's talking gender with trans people <laughs> and it's the school of Athens, it's Plato and Aristotle, and then talking gender with cis people and it's a mom teaching a little kid about <laughs> blocks and um, And so explaining they, them to people is often like banging your head against a wall. I was interviewed for a story about something going on in South Dakota, and I reminded the reporter that I use they, them pronouns. And he paused for a second and went, how old are they? Like, he thought that he couldn't use you as a pronoun for me, (laughs) which was very confusing. Um, So for me, it's been a lot of patience and a lot of just politely correcting. Um, like when I go into doctor's offices, they've corrected it now, but like when I fir- went in for my first top sur- surgery consult, they called me ma'am. And I was like, no, I'm literally here to get rid of these things. And so a lot of it has just been getting used to polite correction. And if they don't correct it, well, I'm very Midwestern, so I just get mad and hide it. So...
3: <laughs> what about you, Dylan? Dylan?
5: Yeah. So I'm, I'm still working through this as well. I'm still, you know, um, it's funny you were talking about the (laughs) surgery situation because that doctor's office has consistently referred to me as female throughout the whole process. And Mm -hmm. in fact, like when I went to my checkup afterwards, they gave me a gown and I'm like, am I supposed to take everything off because I can take my shirt off now. (laughs) (laughs) And um, it, it depends on how much you want it, how much you want to fight that battle that day, yeah, for me at the moment. I think I'm also fortunate in that I live in um, an LGBT community, so I don't run into it on a daily basis. Yeah, which highlights a problem that I think we sort of touched on, touched on earlier, and that is we're making so much progress in some areas, but not in other areas, and so we have this patchwork problem. <laughs> Of where are you safe and where are you and where are you not? Where are you going to be respected and where are you not? So it's it's something that I mean I've done long explanations. I wrote a whole essay for <laughs> in an email to somebody once about, you know, the history of the singular day starting in 1375 and you know, and all this other stuff that, that you can lay out if you if you are, are wanting to. Um also, since I since I am gender fluid, I and I do feel and I do feel like I incorporate all the genders. It's maybe less jarring for me um, if somebody refers to me as he or she. But the way I explain that is, it's like you called me right leg. My right leg is a perfectly fine part of my body, and I am am to- totally cool with it. But it's not the whole me. And referring to me with they, them pronouns covers the whole me.
3: That's a little bit of honey. Yeah. Just call me legs. Hey. No, just a few of you can, not yeah. <laughs> Yes. We have a question that's a little historical from Elliot.
2: Can you talk about a gender structure in another country, language, or time in history that is particularly appealing to you?
5: Because I was raised uh, without religion, but I did read tons of mythology and stories and things from around the world, it was very natural for me to think of myself as non-binary within myself. Mm -hmm. People in um, Central Asia experimented with uh, transforming their gender Using output from horses <laughs> to mm-hmm. transform their mm. their their bodies and not gay, necessarily gay horses, gay, horse. yeah. gay, gay horse. horses again, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's interesting how that gets into using technology and using yeah. culture and to transform your gender in ways that you know we've been obviously doing you know for thousands mm-hmm. of years. A lot of the sort of biological essentialist arguments are, you know, men are strong or whatever. Once you start using tools and you start removing some of that di- differential, it's like, what does it really matter anymore?
0: Mm-hmm.
5: By the way, this, this may something you may want to edit into a different part of the podcast, but as somebody who has looked at a lot of skeletons... You
4: cannot tell.
5: (laughs) You absolutely 100% cannot tell and don't let anybody tell you that you can. You mean the show Bones was lying to me? Amazing, I know. You and a bunch person on the internet lied to
6: me when they told me that everybody would know that I was a man when I was dead, which is great right, You know, I mean, a new phenomenon in my life. <laughs> Trust me, I have held hundreds of pelvises. <laughs> that
5: works. <were, laughs> does that count? Same?
2: Weird flex. Oh, that okay. I, <laughs> I was gonna say, ooh,
5: total, total. I mean, like totally, totally naked of everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: it's the the most naked. We're all just meat sacks with some mm-hmm. bones inside. Yeah, absolutely. anyway,
6: electrified um, meat. That's not
3: being moved Electri- anywhere else. That's staying where it is. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: oh, awesome. <laughs> all right.
3: Um, I'm still thinking about electrified meat. I'm sorry.
6: Yeah, no, electrified meat. Uh, your brain is electrified meat. Yeah, as is the rest of you. Oh, it's yeah, terrifying. Like, yeah <laughs>
3: There are tons of examples in our lore and scriptures and our stories that we've shared. Do you have examples of those across the world?
5: Well, so there are now there are there are, in different cultures there are different stories. If you read, for instance, the original myths about Loki, not I mean that's obviously something that you know Marvel Comics has you know taken over in our current culture, unfortunately brought back in a tiny, tiny little bit of representation. But the original Loki was canonically gender, uh, gender fluid. I mean, he changed sex, had a horse baby and changed back.
0: <laughs> and then yes. later on,
5: he ate a heart that he found in a burning in a fireplace. Always the best choice. Yes. Got pregnant and had a bunch of creatures. So, you know, you, <laughs> so you get stories like that and you know the reason that people came up with those stories originally was because people in their community were Mm non-binary they were not they were not gender conforming and so rather than try and suppress and eliminate those a lot of cultures have decided to embrace that and make it part of their culture and I think that first of all that's way more healthy (laughs) It is way more healthy for everyone involved, for the culture at large, for the individual, way more healthy. So, uh, you know, I would love it if we could get back to that and start embracing some some of those stories, you know, and and creating our own new stories, which is what we're doing now. We're sort of circling back to um, ideas of acceptance um, that cultures used to have but that we have lost. And that's something that's really, really important to me.
3: No, yeah, I think it's very, we have to be like always aware of the predominant text that has shaped a lot of the society we currently live in. And yes. I we obviously now as a Judeo-Christian society, there's mm-hmm. a very particular yes. um, gatekeeping of mm-hmm. what is considered acceptable. And when you mm-hmm. look at the breadth of humanity, uh-huh. our recent sort of surge in trying to make something very pigeonholed of living within the binary is, in a lot of ways, the the, the sort of outlier. Um, but yeah, I think that that's something, sorry, go ahead.
6: That's okay. Can I just uh, push back a little bit on one term that you used? You said Judeo-Christian. Yeah. 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 That's not a thing.
3: Um, (laughs) Apologies. (laughs) apologies.
6: That's okay. okay. I just, a framing of that often gets used to like make Judaism, um, exactly the same as Christianity. And one of the things specifically for talking about gender is that historical Judaism has at least five genders. The traditional texts have this representation of people who live outside of the binary. And that's one of the things that gets erased when we turn Judaism, Christianity into the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think in this context, it's really important to pull those apart so that we can say, oh, wait, where did this come from? Right. But also if you read the Bible, you read stories that are told to Greeks and you read stories that are way more complicated. There is a figure of a eunuch in... The Bible, and I'm going to look at the
4: Ethiopian eunuch in
6: Acts. Yes, and uh, a friend of mine who's a trans woman minister preaches about that as a trans person. Mm -hmm.
4: Yeah, it's interesting because within Christianity, there's a lot of uh, gender bending. A lot of interesting characters who are historical figures who are gender bent. Um, And so, my friend Austin wrote a great book about trans people in the Bible called Transforming. So much of the current conversation about gender is dictated by the influence of white supremacy. The saying online of you scratch a turf, you get a (laughs) neo-Nazi. Historically, that has been the force that has warped and eliminated so many of the understandings of gender that existed in Native cultures, in cultures that are not white, and has Warped our current conversation. It's not a
5: process that happened in the past, either. I remember a conversation I had with a um, member of parliament when I was living in New Zealand who had just gone on a trip to Uganda. and um she was she was had been talking to local activists. and they were saying that traditionally in their culture, all forms of, you know gender expression were fine. But it was within the past twenty years. Mm-hmm. that missionaries from the United States had come there and now there are all these anti-LGBT laws in place in Uganda. Mm. And so, you know, we 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 tend to think of it as, you know, suppression of native cultures in the US, for instance, or Canada as being something that was in the past. It's ongoing here still and
4: it's also ongoing around the world. Not to get too into the weeds, but the Methodist church is
6: dealing with that right (laughs) now. Very much,
4: yes. Yeah, because they went out and taught this very conservative version of Methodism to like a whole bunch of the churches in Africa and East Asia. And now they're trying to decide on the role of of LGBT people in the church. And a bunch of the people are like, well, these African churches don't like it. And it's like, because you taught it to them. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And now they think that's what it is. And yeah, it's a big (laughs) mess.
2: Well, well,
3: well. If it isn't the consequences of your actions, yeah. And I think that was a great thing to point out because my mm-hmm. upbringing as a person from Texas the amount of miseducation information I've gotten with catch-all terms yeah. um, is pervasive even today. Even me using just the the catch-all mm-hmm. Judeo-Christian was something that I think was so drilled into my mind. So I think it's good to have the the ownership of understanding, even with me, like how important that language is. You know, I mentioned even myself, like me being an immigrant from a war-torn nation that had colonial issues, then ending up in somewhere like Texas. like I'm constantly having to unpackage ways in which my mind was colonized, and mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. a very tough thing to internally do, and then to externally sort of you know, project the ways in which we can progress from there. It's just, I think it's a constant uh, thing that feels in flux. But that is something I always really respond to well with my non-binary friends is this feeling of being in transit and also like embracing things that feel like it's ever evolving, which I think the queer community at large has been trying to embrace that feeling more. So things don't also always feel so binary in so many ways. Mm -hmm. So definitive.
4: One of my favorite figures in history, in American history is the public universal friend. Yes, Yes. Uh, They were, they lived around the same time as the founding of America. They were a Quaker who went under an illness, nearly died, and sort of rose again as this genderless prophet and insisted on not using any pronouns, um, called themselves the public universal friend or the PUF for short, or just the friend, and preached this radical gospel of, like, um, it wasn't universalist, but it was very much um, about equality between the sexes and Uh, They did a lot of work with the Native Americans in the area, and they're actually the reason that we have separation of church and state as a precedent, because a bunch of the church fathers in Quakerism tried to uh, bring them into the court for blasphemy, and the court went, we can't do that. We don't have that. We cannot establish a religion. We can't rule on matters of blasphemy, and that eventually became the precedent of the separation of church and state. And they were a genderless, non-binary person who dressed in purposefully masculine and feminine
6: ways. One of my new favorite historical trans people uh, is uh, a person that you probably know as Louisa May Alcott, who Mm -hmm. in life went by Lou, dressed as, perceived as, engaged in the world as a man for most of their life. Um, I (laughs) particularly bring that up because... uh, Lou May Alcott, a Unitarian, me, a Unitarian, I am <laughs> obligated to bring up my people. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is this trans history of the United States. There is a trans history of white Christians in the United mm-hmm. States, even. The provocative Universal Friend, Lou Alcott, doing gender in like a very different way.
3: We have time for one last question. Yay. And um, this question is from our dear listener, Eddie.
8: My name is Eddie, I'm gender fluid, and I use any pronouns. I just transferred with my work to a new state where I've never met any of my coworkers before. I introduce myself as gender fluid, non-binary, and then I go by any pronouns. Living under the non-binary umbrella, I generally use gender-neutral pronouns when discussing people I don't know or haven't been introduced to. At my last work location, different people used she, her, they, them, or he, him when referring to me. Here, everyone uses she her. I've recently been vibing more with they them pronouns for myself, but at the same time not caring enough to talk to my coworkers about it. Being gender fluid I know that my personal preference for pronouns change all the time, anyway. Sometimes I find the pronouns people use when referring to you says more about their experience with gender mm-hmm. than anything about you. TLDR How much should I care about how other people are experiencing my gender identity as a non-binary person? Thanks. Y'all have a nice day. This was super fun.
3: Thank you, you, Eddie. I love that. Very specific, but also sounds like a very universal question for non-binary experience. Yeah. It really just depends on how much
2: energy you have to correct people in a given day. Um, Some days I'm totally okay with correcting people if they misgender me. Other times... I'm tired and I just don't feel like it, Um, which is why it would be great if a proactive ally in your workplace could step up and correct people or, you know, say in a, you know, private conversation with a person who is exclusively using she, her, like, hey, um, this person actually uses all pronouns. I've noticed you've only used she. Um, so maybe switch it up. Um, so being a proactive ally means that you correct someone right in the moment and then briefly, uh, just move on to the next subject. Mm
6: -hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't think I can overstate how like helpful it is to have somebody else who will correct before I can have a chance to like very quickly, they very quickly, Mm -hmm. he very quickly. Um, that, that takes a lot of energy off of me and puts it somewhere where there is like less stress on that energy. Um, but the answer that I really wanna give is like as little as possible. Please care about what cis people think of you as little as is conceivably possible um, because they're not actually in charge of your gender. Um, they're not in charge of the truth. Um, the more I've moved towards, you can be wrong, mm-hmm. the happier I have been. Another thing that works sometimes is if people get real picky with you about the like linguistic appropriateness of they, them, invite them just to use your name anytime they would like to use a pronoun. Um, that's much more awkward, and they will probably get sick of it and just use the correct one eventually.
0: Mm.
4: I like that, that sort of subtle thing. But yeah, my niece will, uh, because my sister-in-law and my brother, I've only been out since 2020, so they're still getting used to they. Um, because we only see each other every couple of months. Um, And my niece has taken on the role of being like, no, they.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Aunt Diana is a
4: they. Um, and They still call me aunt, which is fine, because that's my title with them. Um, But yeah, a lot of it has been me realizing that I am not responsible for how other people think about me, because they have their own inner lives, they have their own thoughts that they have going on, and if they perceive me as a she- They're wrong, but that's not my responsibility. I don't have to perform my gender to a point where they immediately read my truth.
2: A quick interjection. I wish that Mm -hmm. there were a gender-neutral term for aunt or uncle.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Because
2: aunticle doesn't really roll (laughs) off the tongue. It's kind of, it just doesn't.
4: With some friends' kids, I use entle. Which is nice because it sounds like it's out of Lord of the Rings
0: um, <laughs>
4: <laughs> and stuff. But yeah, aunt is what I am to my my biological yeah. nieces. So.
6: Yeah, because mm. nibbling works so nice for yes really. uh, other for your siblings' children or the people to whom you mm. are auntie or uncle. But there we have not come up Mm-mm. with anything nearly as uh, clever and fun. And we try. I
3: think it's because aunt and uncle are inherently um, not very pretty words yeah. to be <laughs> yeah. able to play with. So that's going to be the, um, the next uh, queer um, yes. coalition meeting. We're going to be <laughs> wait, okay. researching wait, and ordaining wait. some options for non-gendered sister and or they brother them of the parent.
5: One that, I've, that I'm thinking that I might want to use for that is UNCA. Ooh! Because which is funny because that's what my cousins call my dad, and I don't know why <laughs> how that ever started. But I'm like, it has that a sort of feminine mm-hmm. ending, but it has the uncle part, and and it's short, and it's not, you know, it doesn't go on forever. So I think I'm going to be advocating for unca.
3: Duly noted, we're putting it into the record. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> yes. just throwing
6: that out there. I get a lot of joy though out of being both an auntie and a husband. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's real. That's yeah. real fun for me. Yeah. Yeah.
3: You know, speaking of joy, I think I would love to um, wrap up our conversation with a positive message from each of you uh, for non-binary listeners who might be there, questioning listeners. I think it's really great to, you know, reinforce that, you know, spaces like this between us exist and those are spaces they will enter at some point if they're not yet with those people. Mm -hmm. So what's something that you would um, say to them?
4: For me, it's chase whatever gives you joy. Because there's a lot of talk in the trans community about gender dysphoria and how it's such a struggle and how you have to be brave to fight all this stuff, when for me, my experience of gender has been much more one of joy, being able to be free and happy as who I am. Um, and that for me, has been way more affirming than anything else. Um, so if you find that somebody calling you they makes you happy, chase that. Like, Look into that, interrogate it. Um, And you may find yourself realizing that you are non-binary, you are something else, and that's a good thing.
2: Yeah. Um, My little piece of advice for those of you who are like starting to explore different gender expression, like maybe you're shopping and you see something that you really like, but you're like, oh, I'm not brave enough to wear that, like I'm scared to wear that in public because I might be misgendered. You can wear it around your house. So get the thing. Treat yourself. You deserve it. You deserve to feel good in whatever clothing you want to wear. Just you could wear it around your house if you want to.
5: Yeah. And just try things and have fun. There's a lot of stuff in this world that wants you to not have fun. But the whole point of life is to, is to enjoy yourself and to have fun and to play with these things. Some stuff may, may work and some stuff may not. But don't let other people tell you what mold you have to fit into. Find your own mold.
6: Be a gender ninja.
3: (laughs) Gender ninja. (laughs) Putting that into the record as well.
6: (laughs) You are a important divine piece of everything that is creating itself constantly. You are a co-creative force with what I would call the divine. You might call God. You might just call nature. You are part of everything that is happening. And not only do you deserve the space to figure out what makes you happiest, we all actually need that. Uh, The philosopher Howard Thurman said that what the world needs is people who have come alive. And my experience of gender is so much of getting to come the whole way alive you deserve that and the world is in desperate need of that i love you you matter you're beautiful go do the thing
3: no oh, i see why you have your job yeah. damn
6: yeah. i'm pretty good at it damn. there's
4: yeah. that pastor yeah, I love it. Yeah. and i would
3: love to hear any other places people can find you i know we have a book dropping
4: yes A uh, reminder the book is called in transit you can find it everywhere uh, even on Bezos' evil empire. It is dropping July 12th. You can also find me on Twitter, uh, Diana E. Anderson. That's with two N's uh, because my parents just had to be unusual. Um, and you can find me anywhere you find Diana E. Anderson. That's
6: probably me. So. And if you find Diana on Twitter, you will quickly find me. I'm, I'm right Yes.
0: There. Yes. Yes. <laughs>
2: Uh, My little self-promo moment. Um, I'm on all social media, uh, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, uh, YouTube, Twitch. Uh, My at is Ian Alexander, except the L is an I because Ian Alexander was taken seven years ago. Uh, So it's I-A-N-A-I-E-X-A-N-D-E-R.
5: You'll probably find me on Twitter at at J-E-N underscore A-R-A-D-I-A. Do not have a YouTube channel at the moment, but that's going to happen
3: soon. I think just to end this, I I feel the um, important thing is whether you are an ally or curious or another um, queer identifying person who isn't non-binary, the most important thing is that it's okay to learn, it's okay to be wrong, it's okay to open your mind, and it's okay to question things because we can only be allies if we understand that we also have been especially cis people, raised within a certain space and line of thinking that um, has to be challenged. And that involves us challenging ourselves and not challenging non-binary people first. And that is something that I think Um, I've had the great pleasure and privilege to experience in, you know, the city and spaces I grew up in. But I know a lot of places like where I initially grew up in don't always offer that. So hopefully this helped a lot of you feel feel a little more seen, maybe answer some questions. Thank you so much to the patrons who so wonderfully sent in their queries. And thank you to Rainy for putting all the questions together. Um, This has been... I guess the first non-binary <laughs> summit of the gods. <laughs> um so from all of us mythological creatures of gorgeous beauty and all the uncas out there. Thank you for listening. <laughs>